Welcome to Rhythm Check, a podcast from trainee doctors for trainee doctors. As a group, we spend so much time talking to our patients about how to look after their own health and well-being. But how often do we actually do this for ourselves? It's unfortunately all too common that work can take priority and we forget to check in with how we're doing and what we can do for our own well-being. So, it's time to practice what we preach. I'm Flo. And I'm Katie. And we'll be your hosts for this series. We're both specialty trainee doctors and each episode we'll look at some of the important pillars of well-being and how our training can impact these. We'll hear from other trainees about the common problems and pitfalls that we face from ever-changing shift patterns, rotations, workload stress to maintaining our personal lives and how, as trainees, we've learned to manage and deal with them. This episode, we are talking about our personal relationships and how training can impact these at work and at home. We've probably all found that at times our jobs in medicine can be all-consuming. With so many years at university and beyond dedicated to training, it's no wonder it becomes so embedded in our identity. As a vocation, it goes way beyond a nine-to-five job, and we give so much of ourselves to this job, which sometimes can mean that we have less to give outside of work. And when work gets tough, what's the first thing to give? Is it our relationships and our personal life that suffer the most? And why do we feel as though those closest to us are the ones that pick up the slack? And yet, having those healthy relationships and a support network is something that can be really helpful for our own well-being. Today, we will cover three common challenges that trainees face when it comes to making sure we have healthy relationships with those around us. Joining us is Natasha to help unpick these. Hi, Natasha. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Natasha and um, I'm actually an OBS and Guide consultant now. I've had a consultant job for one year and prior to that I was a trainee um, over a period of 10 years. In that period of time I got married, I formed a relationship with my husband obviously, we've had two children um, and I've had two periods out of programme for parental leave as well as an extended period out of programme living in France to accompany my husband while he studied. (laughs) And I've also worked as a full-time and a less than full-time trainee. So I've been through a fair breadth of experience as a trainee and hopefully I can bring you something useful today. Sounds like you've you've made it out the other side but you've got hopefully lots lots to fill us in on from all your time in training. Kicking off I think I wonder if we could start by hearing about how you feel training kind of impacted on your personal relationships and I know you mentioned that you're married did you ever find that your relationship with your husband was affected by work? So yeah I think in all honesty my work has a significant impact on my relationship with my partner as well as my role as a mother Um, and there are many challenges to that my partner's a non-medic and I think that there are mm. advantages and disadvantages to that and pros and cons, pros and, cons. <laughs> and I think that in all honesty and my husband I'm sure would very much agree um, he's married to not only me but also married to my job and we have you know weekly if not daily conversations and you know challenges to face that are revolve around my commitment to my work 
have you found that that's changed as your relationship has developed and as you've gone through your training? Yes, I think so. I think when you first meet somebody, the realities of day-to-day life as a trainee or a doctor are sound rather romantic. You've got a vocation, you're very committed to your job. Being a doctor is <laughs> quite a kind of attractive, successful job that some you know people would find as an advantage. But when you get down to the nitty gritty of it and it's the weekend and you're doing your night shifts again and you're missing out on a family member's wedding, there are a lot of day-to-day challenges. Who's going to drop off the kids? Who's going to call in sick when the children aren't well? The day-to-day running of family life when you're a doctor is not easy and there are a lot of challenges. And a lot of non-glamorous parts to our job. Exactly. Which often are underestimated, I think. Absolutely. And I think those develop as you go through time. And there are certainly points at which that comes to a head. And I certainly haven't figured out the perfect way of doing things. But I think that you kind of you get a lot of challenges, especially when your children are young. And then hopefully you kind of work through those and come to a happy balance. (laughs) I'm not sure that we're 100% there yet, but certainly working on it. And do you find that um, with your husband being a non-medic, do you find it's helpful in trying to get some sort of work-life balance, being able to keep work at work and then pick up home life at home? I think that that is actually one advantage, yeah. I think that it is easier to some degree, to retain some objectivity about your role and and about your job when you're married to a non-medic. Obviously, I haven't experienced it the other way around. But I think that my partner keeps me quite grounded. I'm not a consultant obstetrician when I'm at home. I'm just (laughs) mum. And that's really good in some ways to kind of bring you back to earth, to keep your feet on the ground to keep reminding you of how the outside world functions, getting a perspective of a workplace outside of medicine. Stops us getting sucked in, doesn't it? To- exactly. And it's a bit easier to, to you know, I don't talk about work an awful lot at home. I, I'm not really able to talk about clinical scenarios or clinical situations because my husband won't really understand that. So it means that I do probably tend to talk about work less at home, yeah. Do you find that inevitably there will be some things that have happened at work that you want to thrash out in your own head or to, you know, process? Do you find that you sometimes have other people in your sphere, be it at work or a mentor or something like that, that can help with that beyond your partner at home? Absolutely. I've got personal experience of this and I was involved in quite a traumatic case at work, an obstetric case, which had a very poor outcome and was very, very upsetting Mm. for me. And Sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, my husband was obviously sympathetic, but the reason it was distressing and the kind of intricacies of obstetric decision making and the parts of it, well, the case went to, um, was was being faced with a legal challenge eventually, which went on for several years. And so it did have an impact on me and at home. And I did find it quite difficult to speak to my partner about that because it was impossible for him to offer a kind of perspective on that that I found useful. And so, yes, I found that I needed to have other people to talk to about that and you know I was very honest and said 
sometimes the things that you're saying about that aren't all that helpful. And, you know, I need to speak to somebody who actually understands the intricacies of those decisions that I had to make at the time. But I think you need to be really realistic in expectations of a partner in terms of being able to vent to them or being able to for them to offer understanding and you do need a range of people that you can approach not just to rely on your husband your husband or partner as one person that's going to offer you all the support that you need I think that's a really interesting point and I suppose in a way I'm just thinking about how I rely on my husband so often if I'm on call over the weekend or doing antisocial hours he's the one left to pick up the brunt of cooking duties or house admin or whatever that might be and so we actually rely on partners in different ways that you don't necessarily think either absolutely and I mean I think my husband hadn't really thought about what he'd have to do in terms of looking after children before he really (laughs) had that and and as a a doctor you know I can't drop my kids off at school in the morning and get to work by the time I need to so you know but we also you know he can't do all of that so you have to be very very flexible and realistic in terms of the support network that you need Thank you so much for sharing with us about that difficult case. I mean, I think certainly it's often important, obviously, for us to think about who we can utilise within our support network to talk through things outside of work and and process and, and sort of soundboard. But equally, I think... There is a tendency sometimes, and also married to a nomadic myself, so I know the feeling of my husband sometimes feeling that he doesn't quite know how best to support me because it feels so alien to him for, you know, those sorts of topics sometimes in terms of, you know, he can't relate specifically to that clinical situation or or the sort of worry that I have about something at work. Did you ever talk it through kind of and get a feel from for how that made made him feel, I suppose, and, and whether he struggled to know what to do from the other side? Yeah, I think that the problem I think we face uh, is that the job is the thing that always kind of wins or it always trumps any other situation. And I think that's been a real challenge for my partner, knowing that there's always something else that can trump, you know, any social event, any Christmas and having that... I guess it's like a third person in the relationship almost that they almost have to compete with and how that makes them feel as a person if there's always something that you have aside from them which you kind of almost always have to put first in some ways and that's been a real lesson for me listening to how that feels on the other side of it I think when I went into a relationship I always felt like well they'll just have to understand that you know my job is vocation there are things that I just can't change about it and I was quite fixed in the beginning for example when I went into this consultant job I said you know when I have an operating list I absolutely won't be able to be contacted you know I won't be able to respond to anything to do with the family and I won't be able to call in sick and my husband said well he found that expectation unrealistic And in the beginning, I really fought that and said, well, no, you know, these are patients. I can't cancel procedures. I can't um, I can't put that second. And he kind of pushed me on that a bit and kind of said, well, really, you know, in that you you can't always put your job first it can't always be the thing that's unnegotiable there will be times when you do have to you know call in sick if you really really were sick or you know there was an emergency you would have to cancel so you kind of need to get your head around that and that was was not easy for me to accept but I think in I have moved with that um and changed my um attitude in some ways 
to what I do and what I am and aren't able, uh, prepared to do really. That's really interesting to hear. I feel like I need to take a leaf out of that book a little bit as well. You said something about you spending some time in France. Was that, well, during your training, did you take some time out to support your husband, was it? Yeah. How do you find that compared to the, the kind of the flexibility side of things? So um, again, another area where I think I was quite inflexible at the beginning, I think I went into, well, my, so my partner wanted to do an MBA, uh, he wanted to go abroad and do that, another business school. And in the beginning, I said, well, that's just not possible for me to move abroad for a year, I just can't mm. take that time out of training, the training doesn't allow for that. And my husband being a non-medic said, well, that's just not good enough. You know, if you want to do that, you should be able to. And I started out with my no, but you just can't. That can't do attitude, which we all seem to have embedded in us for some reason. <laughs> exactly. That I think that we get into the, I kind of was trying to explain, well, you, you're on a training program, you have to go through the training program, you can't give up your training number, it's so precious to have a training number. And my husband kind of said, well, why don't you work abroad whilst you're away? And I said, no, you just don't understand. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> and, it, I, you know, I'm not going to lie, it was challenging to take that time out. In the end, I had my maternity leave and then I applied for a four-month period of time out of programme, which was non-educational, and I decided not to work as I was still looking after my daughter. But, you know, it was possible in the end. It was fairly stressful to try and work it out and work around it but I think mainly just because I had this very fixed idea of what wasn't wasn't possible in training and I think that actually the objectivity of my partner enabled me to have to flex with that and, and have to challenge that rigidity that I'd kind of built into my mind. But I think stories like yours are actually really important for other trainees to hear because we're told it's a set structure you're on this convey about this almost hamster ball of progress particularly if we're working in some sort of hospital specialty where it takes that little bit longer and so when you hear that people can take different avenues and how they've done it or how to be a bit more imaginative I, I think it's really really useful for people to hear that actually they can open doors themselves yeah with a little bit of time and effort absolutely and I think actually it had a massive advantage for me in terms of really gaining that objectivity about my career and what I did in not in negative terms and in, in a positive term when I I went to spend time with my husband's colleagues who were doing an MBA and they were interested to hear what I did and when they described their jobs as CEOs or management consultants I just thought my god how boring <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> and when I described what I did every day as an obstetrician, I thought, wow, I am really, really lucky. And just stepping outside of medicine, actually, I think before then I had questioned, you know, should I stay in this role? Should I stay in medicine? But since I actually took that time out and stepped away from it, I was able to see much more clearly that it was a real passion. I did love my job and that I was really, really lucky to have that as a career. And then when I get went back into medicine, I had that renewed energy for it, really. So it was a overall a really positive experience. Yeah, that's really great. And and it's very much a privilege, isn't it, that often on the daily grind of work, it's easy to forget that. So you've talked a lot about you and your role as a mum. And this feels like such an important thing that for us to talk about and think a little bit about how work impacts your life as a mum. 
how have you found juggling work and parenthood? So I think any um, medic who's a parent will give a resounding yes to it being fairly challenging. I think that, again, it's something where we probably um, have quite fixed ideas before it happens about what we will and won't be able to do. And I can only describe the word chaos to describe how the week goes in terms of picking up, dropping off, childcare, covering on calls, covering weekends on call. And it is uh, it's certainly a juggling experience which has taken some work to achieve, I can definitely say say that. I need all the tips. I'm sure Florence is thinking the same. We're both expecting this summer and trying to figure out how life might look. (laughs) And I don't know. Congratulations. I don't know how to go about it. (laughs) The word chaos is resonating in my head. (laughs) Do you ever find that you have days... Uh, you kind of touched on this, I suppose, particularly if you've got planned operating lists, but days that you know are going to be particularly difficult for you to be contacted and therefore it needs to fall to somebody else? Or do you just have to abandon all of that? I think you have to have a realistic chat with your partner before you go back to work about how that is going to work. And I think that there's definitely challenges for women, and especially if you've taken the primary caregiver role in that perhaps year that you've taken off as parental leave. Not all people do it that way, but but some people do. And I think then when you return to work, you need to, in some ways, negotiate how your work-home life balance is going to work and how you and your partner are going to manage that between you. In my home, it works that we both do a significant proportion of the childcare. We, my husband, luckily, has more flexibility in the mornings. Um, most of his colleagues are overseas in America, so he tends to do the morning um, aspects of the shifts whilst I get into hospital early. And then I tend, I've got most of my fixed job sessions in the morning, and then I tend to leave early, come and get the kids from after school club. And he works into the early evening for his role. So having that balance or having that kind of agreement of how it's going to work is great. But then you also need to have a plan for the unexpected. And you can't always expect the unexpected. So, I mean, we're very, very lucky in that we have support from our other family members, grandparents. And that is very, very useful. But I know that not everybody is so lucky I think that getting as much help as you can is really, really useful. And also making sure you've got kind of backups of people that can can come and respond to emergencies. However, you also have to be realistic that if you're a parent, you may be contacted and you may have to respond to that. And I think you just in some ways need to be realistic with work as well. I think that's one thing I've really learned is that as a parent, you're not ever going to be able to turn around to work at any time and say, there's nothing, you know, I won't respond if my child's very unwell or there's an emergency. Of course you will. And I think as work colleagues, we can all support each other with that. And my work colleagues have been very supportive with that. I'm glad to hear that. I'm just trying to work out your timeline. You must have had your children, was it, through training? Yeah. And so were you still rotating around with children? Yep. I got to the end of ST6, actually, then had my first child and then ST7 took me three and a half years to complete um, (laughs) (laughs) because I did part uh, less than full-time, had another child, then less than full-time again and then completed my CCT. Mm -hmm. So yes, there was training. 
I made the decision that I would, we'd bought a property and um, my husband also, his job, he he was needed to commute. So we made a decision that we would buy a house in one area and I would commute to hospitals that I could reach within that reasonable distance. And luckily, I've, I found my training program director very flexible on that. We, I found that when I'd asked for a unit that I could commute to, that that was met with a positive response all of the time. So I was able, I mean, my commute was up to an hour. But when I made that request, I found them quite responsive and I didn't need to kind of move away again, although the commute was quite significant. Yeah, I think that's something that we've um, faced without children, even. So the idea of having that to balance as well, I suppose, becomes that little bit more challenging. Yeah. But one of the things that keeps on coming up in conversation uh, between myself and some of my friends, particularly the medic friends, is this idea of mum guilt, feeling torn all the time or that your head's always there. Do you ever get a sense of that or how do you how do you navigate that? I think naturally some people have that and others don't. And I have to say, I I guess I just hold on to my values of I want to work, I love my job and I trust that that will have a positive impact in the long term on my role as a mother and also my family. I try to stay true to the person that I think I am and everybody is very different. But for me, a huge part of who I am is being a doctor. And so I feel, you know, I am going to maintain that part of myself. I am going to return to work, although it is at times very challenging. But I feel that in doing that, I'm staying true to my own values. I'm staying true to what I want. And in in turn, that in the long term will make me a better parent. And I just have to trust that. But of course, yeah, there are times day to day when I question that. Yeah, it's those little things sometimes I imagine it, you know, weekends missing out on a class or something that doing sport wise that makes you feel a little bit more torn than normal. What I would say is that the experience as a trainee is very different um, than that as a consultant. And I say the senior trainees in my unit just get through to the end because once you get into consultant role, the job plan becomes much, much more manageable, particularly with regards to the um, on calls. As a registrar in obstetrics, I was doing one in four weekends. Um, And obviously that's a huge amount of time away from your children. But now as a consultant, I do one in 15. So amazing. That's very, very different. And I find it much more manageable. And yeah, it is very, very challenging as a trainee to be able to be away for that period of time. I do find myself using this mantra of short-term pain, long-term gain, and just hoping I can get to the yeah. other side. It's just trying to navigate and negotiate this bit while we're still in training. In a way, I, I feel that almost the, the full-time training programme is almost impossible for a lot of hospital-based trainees to to navigate the, the hours that you're expected to do, the on-call periods of time. And so a lot of trainees, I think, only can manage by doing it less than full time or with a significant amount of help which is you know it has its cost but I do say that exactly it's short-term pain because when you do get to the other end and and you get out in a CCT then then I do feel especially from my experience that the job does become much more manageable there's some light at the end of the tunnel (laughs) hold on to that (laughs) yes 
And Natasha, you've, you've mentioned a few times about this job being very much a, a vocational job, which obviously we all resonate with and it, and it forming, you know, almost an, a part of your identity. And I just wondered from your children's perspective, how how they see your, you in your job role and, and how much you kind of share about how your job operates in comparison, for example, to your, to your husband's job. You know, how do you communicate the differences to them? I think that... Um at a young age, I mean, my, both my children are less, are five, you know, less than five, and I think that there's there is only so much that they can understand at that point. I think that just being clear with them about the expectations, about when you will be there and when you won't be there, the time that I'm with them, I don't answer the phone to work, I don't look at my emails, I don't work from home when the children are around. So you remain present with them. Exactly. So the time that I'm with the children, I don't engage with work and I have a clear line of I'm at work or I'm at home with children. And I find that is the way that I can manage it so that they feel that I'm present with them rather than being distracted with work whilst I'm I'm trying to be with them, which I, you know, may become confusing. And I think in terms of when I try and communicate that to them, I, I if I'm not going to be able to, for example, come and do reading on a Friday morning at nine o'clock in the morning, I explain that, you know, in a in a kind way, but I try not to bring guilt into it or I'm, I try not to bring too much, I'm really sorry or I, mummy feels bad or I try not to get upset about it. I try to be kind of clear, positive, um, explain, you know, there are patients I need to see, there are babies that need to be born and I need to help with that. You know, of course you'll feel some guilt in yourself, but try not to bring that into the relationship. Yeah, I like that idea of, of keeping it positive, really, and framing it in that way so that they see it only as a positive thing. I think this brings us on nicely to our final really crucial other part of our support network, which is obviously our friends. Have you found that through your training, your relationships with your friends have changed in any way, Natasha? Have they changed? I would say there have been some challenges, but I'd say that my friends have what, you know, have been what has kept me very, you know, strong, have given me so much support. And I think that there are certainly challenges to having strong friendships or regular friendships but I really really feel that having a strong network of friends and a varied network of friends just carries you through really and is so so valuable I'm so grateful to all my friends who've kept me grounded kept a sense of humor going um kind of been the constant when work you know can be up and down I don't know in many ways actually that work has kind of negatively impacted on my friendships in terms of you know maybe being able to go to social gatherings or attend a particular event of course there are times that it it does pose those challenges but I think that if you've got strong friendships from the beginning that those see you through in a way I found that quite a lot and also often my oldest friends as well where you've already started to have that change in relationship Absolutely. through going through university experiences even the non-medical friends for example they know that you've just got different I don't know 
life agendas. You might catch up every other weekend or every month or so, and it's still just the same as it ever was. Exactly. And I think it's so important. The, the friends that you've got from school, from university, you may not have that much day to day in common with them. But at the end of the day, they really know you. And so keeping in touch with them and really valuing and investing in those friendships, I think, does really pay off. And I hope my friends would agree that I do try and look after that at all costs, changes that quite significantly. One thing I remember um, thinking about perhaps in the last year or so is just realising how many of my friends are spread all over the place. And part of it is due to the fact that I grew up in one area, I then went to university elsewhere, I've then worked in the south of England. And so they're not all in one place. And a lot of that is to do with my decisions over my training undergraduate and postgraduate and then constantly making new friends as you progress how have you found trying to keep in touch with all those people all those different threads or do you find it's just the strongest relationships that you keep going back to I think that I'm the same. I think I've got a lot of varied friendships in lots of different areas. And sometimes what I observe is I have lots of different individual friends, maybe not one group of friends that I see other perhaps non-medics have, because getting together with groups of friends is quite difficult as a medic, as you know, that having those, making time where you can see a group of friends is, is really quite difficult to arrange everybody's rota. Months in advance, usually a wedding. <laughs> exactly. When it comes to friends, particularly at weddings, Florence and I spoke about this just the other week, it feels like we're never off duty. Whether you're in a taxi or at a party, there's always um, someone who's finds out, well, they find out that you're a doctor and they've always got a question or something for you to look at or whatever that might be. And I feel like, especially you as an obstetrician, you must have plenty of these. Everyone's got a story. How do you deal with never being off duty and trying to toe that line? I Yeah, certainly I can identify with that. I find that actually um, my husband's quite guilty of this. He'll say, oh, so-and-so's wife is there. She's pregnant and she just wants to have a chat with you. And I think, oh, God. A heart sink moment. <laughs> <laughs> And there's certainly been lots and lots of times when I have um, had to give advice and people, I mean, one kind of privileged part of it, I suppose, in a way is that you get to know people quite intimately and people share things with you. And I guess as an obstetrician, gynecologist, people share that kind of special first pregnancy moments with you. And so in some ways, I don't see it so much as a, a negative thing sometimes. There are some difficult situations I find, particularly if um, somebody, for example, has had a difficult birth. I find that quite triggering in myself. And I suppose, um, so I, I try not to engage in friends or kind of relatives' birth stories and try and disengage with that. I think that you just have to be, in a way, you can kind of brush it off with comments such as, you know, uh, well, how can I phrase that? You... You can still be there for them as a friend or as a confidant without having to offer too much professional insight. You don't know all the details. Absolutely. 
I think that you just maybe have to put up quite clear boundaries from the beginning and not engage in conversations that you don't want to engage in. And that's harder for some people than for others. But I think if it's somebody who's just an acquaintance saying things like, you know, I'm really sorry, but I think it has been more appropriate if you spoke to your own doctor about that. I'm quite lucky in a way as a gynecologist, I don't get many questions from men. <laughs> and I often say to people who are or relatives who ask me all these questions, I say, I'm really sorry. If it's not a vagina, I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> a clear line and sand there <laughs> and that puts off 50 percent of people um i know these poor gps walking around the place who can't use that line <laughs> so coming on to the question we ask everyone the non-negotiable so what is your non-negotiable when it comes to maintaining healthy relationships with your friends and family? I was thinking about this quite a lot when you asked me this question. I I think that my one non-negotiable would be that saying that, you know, family come and friends come first and not just saying that, but really acting on it. So it's no use saying, you know, my husband come or my family comes first and then not making any allowances, not making any sacrifices at work. So I think that... Um, that really enacting, you know, family and friends come first and work comes second and trying to live that as well as say it is kind of the thing that I'm, I'm absolutely set on. And then secondly is kind of having a work and having a life and keeping those two as separate as you possibly can do and not letting work invade your home life well thank you so much natasha i think that's been a really useful discussion and it's so important that we do invest in our support network because ultimately when things get tough they're the ones that keep us going and and the people that keep our feet on the ground i'm taking home the setting boundaries thank you very much setting boundaries i'll be practicing that absolutely so here at Rhythm Trek, we are looking forward to more episodes in this series talking to other trainees on key topics that affect our well-being. We look forward to seeing you soon. Bye.